Well, hello there. Welcome everybody to Misfits. This is the podcast where I speak to the rebels, the troublemakers, and the cool folks around Singapore. Try to see things as how they see it and learn from them. So some of these individuals include Dr. Loretta Chen, who is the consultant for the Kingdom of Bhutan. Betty Lee, who at the age of 60 years old went backpacking around the world for 400 days. And today you have a treat. So we have the owner and head barman of Spiffy Dapper, infamously known as the worst bar in the world. Hey, but guess what? They're still making money. They're still profitable. So if you are a future cafe bar owner or if it's interested in F&B industry, there's so much gold nugget for you today. So, without further ado. Well, today we have George Abhishek with us here. He's the head barman, owner of Speed Apple. Uh, unofficially a woodsmith, architect, engineer, and a serial explorer of failures. Does that, do I'm actually to... officially an engineer. So he's officially an engineer. The rest of actually, it unofficially. Wait, if only diploma, then how? Are you technically an engineer? Maybe assistant engineer. Assistant <laughs> engineer in Singapore sensor, to be honest. I don't know. <laughs> Just want to do a quick disclaimer. Uh, and warning before we start the show, uh, if you're on speaker right now, uh, please be aware that there might be some F-bomb uh, or a variety of indecency uh, language being used. So, of course, George will put on his uh, best behaviour. Uh, but today's his birthday, so uh, I don't want to stress him out too much. Uh, yes. and <laughs> Welcome to the show. Uh, so, George, really quickly, uh, you've been here since the age of 16 and currently a PR, permanent resident of Singapore. Um, will you identify yourself culturally as uh, Singaporean? No? Singaporean? Yeah. yeah or my, like a my, mix my, of Indian, Singaporean, Indiporean. Indiporean, I love. <laughs> I think I spent my young adulthood here, so, uh, you know, I, I hung out at Far East and went to Hard Rock and saw Kumar and did reggae nights and hung out at Hendrix and that was my 18th birthday and, you know, so I guess I've done pretty much all the rites of passage except for NS. Yeah. Uh, so, um, but you don't need to do NS back in the days, right? Because right now they have this new plan whereby to get PR, you no, no, no. still not yet. So you, so if my child, if yeah. it's my male child would have to do NS. Okay. Uh, and but, if you want to get citizenship, do you need to do NS? No. No. Oh, that's no. great. I, 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 it's I mean, not, it's not a practical situation. Like, you can't like, you know, have somebody who's like fucking 40 years old like, hey, citizen say, <laughs> now go two years, go army, like cannot, right? So it's just, it's not a practical situation for Singapore, I think. Mm. No, yeah. I mean, I wouldn't do anything after the age of, of 30. It's just way too, uh, the opportunity cost is way too big yeah. to, to do the NS. I think like some of the people are doing that uh, National Volunteer Corps thing. Mm-hmm. I, I, I really want to do it. Oh, uh, that's the one in the US? The, or no. Not Labro. Oh, the, Singapore has. SEC is that? No, what's that? <laughs> There's a thing where like women and new citizens and okay. permanent residents can serve in the... I think it's the army, civil defense or whatever yeah. for like, I think it's two weeks. Two weeks. Two weeks or a month or something like that. Actually, I want to touch a bit on um, India mm. because I always heard opposing reviews of friends who have been to India. Mm. Um, they either hate it or love it a lot. I took the liberty yesterday to Google uh, Kerala <laughs> and found some interesting data. So it's the south coast, south coast of India. Yeah. Uh, so let me, let me just uh, look at my data over here. Positive population growth rate uh, in lowest positive population growth rate of 3.44%, highest literacy rate, 93%, and the highest life expectancy of 77 years. Uh, this, is, this is awesome. Okay, so Kerala is on the southwest coast. 
So which means that there's this monsoon, so the Indian Peninsula is like this, mm-hmm. Kerala is like here, mm-hmm. and there's this monsoon that comes here like this, right? And then there's this group of hills here, so Kerala gets all the fucking rain, which means for centuries and you know, millennia, you know, Kerala always had rain. So like monsoon comes like this, hits the hills, and we get the rain. It goes over to Tamil Nadu, which is the other side, yeah. which is where most of the Indians in Singapore uh, come from. Oh, um, so you know they yeah, speak Tamil, know. right? Uh, so most of the time, by the time it gets there, it's like fucking dry air. So they don't really get a lot of water. So, but over time, what happened is, um, so Kerala has been, uh, what do you say, traditionally very uh, fertile land. Okay. But over the last, let's say, fifty years, mm-hmm. uh, the guys in Tamil Nadu and Karnataka, which is the states above. They figured out, let's trap this water and build proper irrigation systems. So now Tamil Nadu makes more uh, produce than Kerala. But Kerala still is fertile. And so I what, saw a lot of tea leaves. Is that where? Well, there is some of the hills. You know, there's hills and there's, yeah. you know, all kinds of spaces, right? But the key thing is, like, because of Kerala's history, uh, Keralites traditionally had time for other bullshit, like communism. Um, and, uh, you know, workers' rights and uh, not killing your female children mm-hmm. and stuff like that, you know. It's very progressive in India. Like, it, it, it's a fact of life in India that, um, especially in the olden days, a female child is known as a burden. So, when sometimes when female children are born, they would just go to the fucking river and drown the kid, man. That was just, that's how it that's, is. That's intense. That's intense. Like, but that was just the way of life, right? Yeah. Uh, but in Kerala, because you had food mm. uh, and you... Most of the time, we're not in poverty, yeah. uh, which means that you could keep the girls alive, uh, which means you could send the girls to school, uh, which means you could go to school uh, yourself or send your kids to school. And, you know, that kind of helped Kerala get to where it is. Uh, I think it's purely just a matter of uh, geography that has led to the, uh, you know, uh, ex- prosperity. Yeah, uh, life expectancy as well. Yeah. As the Similarly, uh, the other uh, direct opposite would be West Bengal, which is where Calcutta is. Okay. Calcutta is very similar. It's uh, near the Sundarbans, mm. which is the world's biggest wetland area. Uh, so they also have always had food, which means uh, they have always had time for awesome stuff like workers' rights and communism and all that stuff. Like in Kerala, right? Yeah. One term is the left government, which is the commun- uh, communists, and then it's the rights, and then they switch, switch, switch. Not ever since independence have they had two terms in one go. And that's beautiful Kerala because, you know, they just keep going like... So, so would the, does that like sort of deter the progress of the, 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 the state? Because, you know, it's moving from progress one to the other. Is, progress can be looked in both ways. But. So if you have like, if like the right just go like this and the left just go like this, whatever it is, you know, flip mm-hmm. the curve, whatever. But like, it's, it's not meeting the will of the people. But if the will of the people is like, I give you some power, then I take it back and I give it to some power. So just like, overall, the state kind of goes like this because the trade has traditional basics of prosperity. So, they don't let anybody fuck it up on the long term. So I think, so yeah. this is a good, good thing. So they have a good Carolines thing going on. A good thing going on, yeah. And you've been there since, uh, till the age of 16. Hmm. Could you paint us like a picture of like your, your situation in Kerala? Do you, do you stay in one of those board house that I saw on Wikipedia? <laughs> Not that, bro. <laughs> <laughs> do people say that? I guess some people did back in the okay. day. Like, no, it's super, I, I cool. it's super cool. I think now it's only tourists do it. Like, 
you know, people are normal, man. We live in like land and things okay. like that. Like, and how how was your situation back then? So uh, my uh, and... my parents were actually missionaries, <laughs> so uh, we went around Kerala. So I lived in different parts of Kerala, uh, but eventually, when I when I was I think fourteen, something, I came back to my hometown, which is basically like this big fucking hill. It's like halfway between the hill, there's a house, long ass house. It's one of those old houses where like, you know, you build one room, then like, okay, then oh, one more member of the family, you build another room, another room, another room, another room. And like 50 years later, you have this long ass house with nothing above, just like this long house is like, and every room has two doors, right? So like you go to bedrooms and bedrooms and bedrooms, like both have like doors at two ends. It's a very oh. weird house. And they have a long ass veranda, which they build after. So it's like one of those houses, like. Last time they used to build like that, like, like when families expand, you just build a room and build a room. And just, this is one of those houses. Now we know the story. I'm excited to go check out this long row of houses. It's is there, is house. there a name for it? It's or one house. It's one house, but it just but keeps extending it, exactly. every time there's a new member of the family that came. Something like that. You know, at one time I remember there were like, I think, great-grandfather, grandfather, dad, me. So it's like four generations living <laughs> in the house. <laughs> and it's like lunch was like, especially during harvest season, lunch prepared like for like 40, 50 people. Wow. So, so I, there, is there a living room to ev- for everyone to eat together or sort of just... No, no, we all just sit outside, sit on the ground. That's cool. Yeah, farmer's room. Very cool. Yeah. And how, what made you came to, to Singapore? I mean, you, you had the scholarship. Um, also, what were your plans before and how did that sort of like twist and turn and then end up in Nanyang Poly uh, doing engineering? Well, I wanted to be an architect or I wanted to go and just do product design. I actually wanted to do product design here, but... Um, uh, during the interview, I built this uh, prototype of uh, a bike from like uh, junk. Uh, and they thought, hey, this is a good engineer. I thought they would say this is a great product designer, but you know, they didn't think that way. So, fuck. So, you got here and being, I got a scholarship um, to be a, to learn engineering in Nyan Poly. Yeah, I guess. Pretty much sums it all up. Well, pretty much it's like, you know, back in the day, like Singapore was like still, you know, focused on a manufacturing economy and you're engineers. Um, so you had your theoretical engineers and you had your meaning engineers. So I was the meaning engineer part. So what they did is they allowed us to come to Singapore and pay the same school fees that Singaporeans pay, right? So it's a pretty good deal. In return, we have to work for five years in Singapore. Um, so that was the deal. So I wouldn't really call it a scholarship because, you know, you still had to pay your school fees and all that stuff. But it was significantly cheaper than if you were just a private student coming to Singapore and uh, uh, enrolling in a poly. Yeah. How did how did that sort of end up make you end up uh, sleeping in the park? Is it the park for a month? What well, is that even possible? How do you even like the the police to end park? Uh, <laughs> Actually, it's not very hard. It's, it's pretty easy. Anyways, so SARS came. Um, I was working in this seafood and Western seafood restaurant. It was it's called Key Largo. He, they couldn't keep me on shift. So I didn't have money because uh, I was not going to work. So then at that point in time, I was living in this room with like six other guys. It's like one HDB room with six other people. And like no money. Pay $150 a month, right? And like, fuck, no money. Uh, so then the guy like, okay, fuck off. <laughs> I'm like, okay, cool. Uh, so then I kept all my like clothes and stuff there and I left. But it was actually not too bad because I was still in school, so. Uh, used to like sleep in one of those Singapore is great right you have the in, in between the HDB flats you have the what do you call it the play, play things and you always have the the playground yeah playground you have the, the, the steps 
and there's like this whole thing and then the slide. So in between, there's enough space for you to actually just lie down. And most of the time you lie down there, nobody sees. Because folks right, are doing it. It is sort of like, like closed and there's yeah. shouted from the rain. And unless you're like making issues, right? Like if you go there and make noise and some neighbor will complain and call the cops. Otherwise, cops like see you like sitting there like, okay, some guy doing his whatever the fuck. They don't disturb you. Nah. Um, so then you sleep there, wake up, go to school, uh, swimming pool, swim, shower, back in the game, then uh, go to the computer lab in school, obviously, and sit and do whatever. Lah. And then you, yeah, that was, that, was, that was the day. Okay. So it's not like a situation where you're in Bishan Park. I was in Bishan Park a couple oh. of times, obviously. <laughs> so you just stop, like, stop around. You, you, you can't be like, <laughs> Staying in the same fucking park every day, then well, obviously. I thought there's like the there's like a, a, a territory for, for for people. Who that are is how you park. get caught, bro. <laughs> oh, okay. well, there you go. The wise the wise words. <laughs> so you're gonna move around. <laughs> okay. And what was the situation like when huh? you when you no money? So I had twenty bucks, right? <laughs> per day. <laughs> no, bro. <laughs> oh shit! What do you eat? So at that point in time, NTUC was NTUC's <laughs> bread was a dollar. Okay. Right. So it was, it was like, I don't know. Gardenia, you, whatever. NTC. No, bro. NTUC, plain white bread. It was a big ass. And at that point in time, they had 20% more. <laughs> okay, yeah. It's so they're like, now. it was a dollar. Like, yeah. A flat dollar. Then I had a Nutella, which was expensive purchase, $5, right? right? And then... Uh, <laughs> What's Nutella? Very fancy. Uh, and uh, the, the ultimate uh, treat was the Nariska stewed pork with bamboo. <laughs> <laughs> so... How many days do you eat it for a month? Uh, just about a month, yeah. So you, you had about, I reckon you need three loaf per no, month. No, I, I go and then like, you know, I sneak back into my friend's houses or whatever, like, you know, just, just do my thing, like, you know? Okay. okay. <laughs> it's not all the way, just, but it's... Right, it's, so you should put it, put your bread and Nutella thing at, at the house. Oh, that was in the bag. Oh, that was in the bag? Yes, Okay, with the, with the pork sometimes when yes. you, you feel happy or exactly. it's a good day, like and you bring it out. Oh, it's a bad day. There's, there's a limit to the number of porks you can buy with 20 bucks, you see? Yeah. Yeah, so it's, it's a... And Nutella one, Nutella lasts you for a month. Yeah, that's good. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting choice. <laughs> <laughs> I, think, I think if I were to do it, I'll, I'll probably choose Nutella instead of peanut butter too. Interesting question. Why did it not have peanut butter? Oh, I know. Wait. <laughs> okay, for it. I think it's because probably it will have... Probably needed to be a... Ref- I think you need to refrigerate peanut butter, right? You know, so, you don't. No. No, oh. actually you shouldn't because then it's too hard. Same as Nutella too. I had this impression that you had to go, ah, maybe that's why. Anyways. Yeah. Yeah, that was, that was hoboing in Singapore. And then what, what did you learn anything out of that, that, that trip? Oh, yeah, Reflecting man. back, reflecting back. Like. That was awesome. Like, that was like the happiest time of my life, without, without doubt. So like, I had, you know, a computer, like, things like a boy like me needed mm-hmm. was a computer, Medal of Honor, a bicycle, <laughs> skateboard. I had everything. My life was complete before I got kicked out of the house. But then I didn't have anything because, uh, well, you know, I think I sold the skateboard before I left. So I was, my bicycle was at home, computer. Uh, so it was kind of a liberating feeling not being connected to things uh, because that, that really changed my life outlook. But after that, like, I was cool. Like, I, I thought it'd be shit, but... I, I mean, the first two nights, I probably is. No. Will I be like... Eh, I got kicked out. Uh, whatever, let's go. You know, I thought like I'd, I'd smooth my way back in. You know, the next day, like, then I, I kind of like tried to get in, then he's like, fuck off. <laughs> <laughs> so I was like, all right. 
that didn't work. So that was that. Yeah. And I think you, I think you adopt like a minimalism. I think it's very similar to traveling too. Uh, what 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 you got? Because when I do buy backpacking, I, I realize that I only need the few things in my life that really makes me happy, and I yep. can leave off very little. Yeah, absolutely. It's a uh, yeah. Even now, like in my life, I I need very few things. I need my MacBook, my charger, my phone. Um, clothes. Yeah, so clothes would be usually in one or similar color and a couple of pairs of jeans and shoes. That's about it. Same here. Uh, underwear, lots of underwear. That, that <laughs> I have more underwear than anything else. Yeah, so fast forward a little bit, you got your first uh, job as a barman uh, and then you work really hard on, uh, on it and make a way up to being a, a shareholder or director of sorts and after yep. which uh, you, you had a blackout yep. and uh, left after a year and a half. But then you got dragged back in because of some mess that uh, the, the, the Can you just tell us a little bit of the story? So it was pretty simple. I mean, looking back at it. So 2008 is when the, the massive boom in Singapore real estate happened. And that was, you know, properties kind of like, kind of like doubled kind of shit. Like, bam, right? You know, like 2006, 2008, properties just went like this. Um, so at that point in time, the property that we were in got bought over and uh, my partner saw the opportunity to sell back his lease. He sold and he buggered off. But, you and know, you left, then you, you were away? Originally. I was away. I was not part of that. But, okay. he, you know, it was, uh, he, he sold the lease. But, you know, due to the way his companies were structured, the lease was one company, operations was one company, which is how you should do it after that idea. Uh, very, very smart way of doing it. But anyways, uh, but since I was, uh, I was the only uh, PR director of a company, I had to fucking clear up the mess. Uh, that, was, that was hardcore. Just like, you know, things were unpaid. Uh, so I had to kind of go and figure out how to do it. Uh, eventually, over the next two, three years, I learned the law and learned how to do accounts and uh, went to court a number of times. And, you know, fucking Why do you need to go to court? What happened there? So anytime you have... Uh, was that a small claim court people? Were both. So you have small claims and you have... Uh, well, not the lawyer court. La. That one, not yet. Not yet. Mm. Um, but it's effectively, you have a couple of stages. If, for example, uh, it's very useful information. Yeah, I, right? I, I, I actually want to know. So if you are... If you don't file your returns, right? Yeah. Or your taxes. They wait for a long time. A fucking long time. It's like two years, three years, they wait for you. And then they don't, they send you a letter with an offer for composition. Com- okay. Right? Which means that if by this time you do, then you pay a fine, you're done. Finish. Right? Okay. And then you still never do, then they ask you to go to court. Okay. Right? So you have to go to the court. And then it's like a line. It's like just like paying your traffic fine. So it's a line. And then you're like, okay, I want, uh, you know, you say your reason, like I want like three months. Then the first interval, first adjournment, they give you three months. Then they can make it one month, then they make it two weeks. At the end of which, it's more than enough time to fig- figure it out, la, you know, to do it. Right. And then at the end of it, you do ready, you pay your composition fine, you submit it, and then it's finished. Right? But the problem is, uh, with me, I didn't have the necessary, how you say, know-how. Okay. Or I did not, because company laws have to have like, uh, X percent of the dr- shareholders and stuff have to be here to make it happen. Like, you know, yeah, yeah. Where I f- more than 50% of the shareholders must be here. Like, all this shit was like, didn't know how to get it done now. So like, fuck. So there was like, 
you have two agencies that will always come after you, which is IRAs and ACRA. Yeah. Right? But they're both, they're different. I didn't know oh, yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. I, I thought they were together. IRAs so. just yeah. com- controls the fucking, you know, companies, right? Your basic returns and compliance and all that. Taxman takes care of the money. I, right? I so, so if you don't file for three years, effectively you're looking at six charges. Right? Three from IRAs, three from ACRA. Which means that, you know, each charge, most of the time the charges will be on different days. So like one week you go for this one, this year, next week you go for next year, next year, then you adjun, 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 adjun. And you were the one like representing the... the, the yeah, yeah. There's <laughs> the only one left, ma. And then you have creditors. Creditors are even funnier. Creditors, you can actually get by a lot because... Um, we have no money. Uh, you have no money. So it takes about 15 grand plus to bankrupt a company in Singapore. Um, so if your company has paid up capital of like thousand bucks or whatever, like mm-hmm. uh, they can't really claim anything other than suing you for mismanagement, which would cost you even more money. But if you have no money, suing you for mismanagement is suing me into bankruptcy, which would cost even more money. So it makes no sense for them. Right. Yeah. But I was also not part of the thing. So they can't really sue me for mismanagement. So they are in a pickle. So they have people like, you know. So mainly you have problems from IRAs and ACRA. ACRA. No, but the rest also you have problems. But it's also negotiation. So if the company owes you, company owes somebody like 10 grand, for okay. example, right? And then they will take your small claims and then you'll explain, okay, this is the situation. It's just like, I can maybe pay 50 bucks a month. And they'll be like, obviously they will like protest, protest, protest. Like, then I'll be like, lay out the facts like, hey bro, no company bro. <laughs> you want, what you want? You want 50 bucks a month or you want? Zero. Zero. You want to sue me to bankruptcy and you spend more money and then you still don't get anything or you want $50 a month. Most of the time, they take $50. (laughs) So, it's a big move, but you know, desperate times, desperate measures. But it's it's the only thing you can do, like, just nothing else. But most of the times in big companies like that, they just want to Were you afraid back then to to land yourself in jail or get kicked back? I would be afraid. So, like, for the first like one and a half years, I was like, fuck this shit, right? Yeah. I was like, I'm going to go to prison anyways. And I was like, maybe I'll go to prison. I'll w- write a, like, a novel that will you know, win the Booker Prize or something oh. like that. So I was like, I'll just, let's just go to prison, man. Very, very you positive know, right? attitude to it. Cause, uh, <laughs> so then I thought, so I spent like the first one and a half years just like drinking, going on stupid dates, maxing out all my credit cards, you know, just like doing it. Then like one and a half years later, I was like, Okay, this is not good. Let's just like, you know, take control back and then, you know, figure it out. Would you say that that would be one of like the toughest period in your life? Yeah. Uh, yeah, I guess. Well, it's, it's, it's a stupid period, I think. Just like, I would, I would, I would say covert. You know, I, I, I was not, I, was, I did not have the balls to kind of look into what was coming at me. So... But once I had the balls to kind of look at me, look at it and say, like, okay, fuck it. Just going to deal with it, you know. How do you, how do you get out of that situation? I mean, like, I know the technicalities of that, but more like psychologically, um, what flip, you know? Or is there any person, books or anything that... Actually, it was not like an immediate thing. So what happened was, so I was on this path, right? So I, I was working a married vacation club. I, w- I was... Uh, doing telemarketing, I was working on a pilot internet marketing project and all that. So I had like, my head was, and at the same time I was running a small uh, record label. What's that? Um, It's called 108 Fashion. It's still around, I think. It's a hip-hop label. Uh, And then, 
I had like all this shit on my head, right? And I, I, I was, I was, I'm very, I used to be very good at remembering things and I could kind of apply, but my head was always like, uh. so then I, um, I was just figuring out how to like be more productive. What is his name? Um, anyways, there was this guy with this book and his, his idea was open loops and closed loops. Open loops are the things you don't know the answer to, closed loops are the things you know the answer to. If you know the answer to something, you don't think about it that much. That's it. Finish. Hard drive somewhere. Start. Open loops, you're always like trying to process, right? Yeah. So as we grow in life, the open loops are like around our head. So you kind of like only see straightforward because your peripheries, all these things that you're always thinking about. You know, all these people are stressed who are kind of like uh, fucking, you know, think too much overthink. They usually cannot see the periphery because... Uh, the, the, you know, the, the, the brain is just too fucking taxed. So I thought, hey, yeah, this is kind of cool. So I, Getting Things Done, I think that's the name of the book. Uh, oh, okay, I, I think I know. Yeah, uh, yeah so that, that was the idea. So I basically did a brain dump thing, which is basically writing down everything in your head, like, without thinking. And then I did, he had this thing of tasks, projects obligations, responsibilities, goals, or something like that. Then I arranged it based on that. So I dumped everything. Then I basically arranged, or taxonomy work, right? Then I had this massive Excel sheet. Uh, and then it was not very practical. So I started moving that into a mind map. I had this big-ass mind map. And then for the first time, I could actually see me, right? So like my fucking brain looking back at me kind of thing. And when I like looked at that, I was like, oh my God, you're an idiot. You know, that was like very plain and clear as to what my problems were. Mm. Um, Where was that? What was that back then that you tried to fix? Well, my problem was I was, uh, uh, you know, uh, I was, I, I had too many things around my head that I couldn't see what was happening around me. So because of that, I didn't, most of the problems that I had could be solved with a little bit of common sense. But because I was overthinking everything, I was just looking at it too straight. I did not think about how to fix it. So when I kind of like did the, in a brain dump and the mind map, all of a sudden, things that were on the side, just clouding kind of went away and I could kind of see things a lot clearly. Um, and just having that allowed me to uh, process things a lot better. So it was not like, Wow, Nirvana fucking moment, fucking Eureka moment, right? It was more like over time the brain slowly figured out, hey, you know, we could make this process work a little bit better. Let's create some more synapses and fucking look at this problem in a different way. And that's, that's, I think that's really what happened. It was a slow process, you know? Yeah. Took about is, there, is there someone who introduced you to that book or sort of just like a chance encounter that fawned to your lap at the right time? So, yeah, I knew my life was shit. <laughs> that much I knew. So I went to the library... NLB in um, Central, the, the fucking Boogies one, right? The big one. Oh, yeah, okay. So I, I was, was working there. on Sia Street. So I used to go there to read pretty much all the time. Yeah. So uh, then I, there was a section of audio books, a couple of books. One was Dale Carnegie's Class Act System, which yeah. I started. And that was very important for me. Uh, that was a big, big part of, uh, part of what I, because I, I, I came here and I, basically grew up without a father figure to guide me uh, throughout 
the, my, my first boss was kind of a father figure, but, you know, that went to kind of shits. <laughs> so, you know, I had to find something to kind of train me because as a young man, you re- definitely need uh, somebody who tells you what it means to be a man, how to, how to be a dude, right? Yeah. You know, like, you don't fucking just learn that. You got to, no. somebody's got to teach you, somebody's got to show you the way. So the, the Descartes system was really good because um, I stopped making excuses. I think that was maybe a pivotal point. Like they had this chapter about taking responsibility. Like sometimes when even, even it's not your fault, fucking take responsibility, own the problem, solve the problem, get on with it. And then the next book was, you know, this getting things done. So it's all the audio books and I would just like listen to them on the way to work on the train. Yeah. Um, and then... Uh, that was great. Yeah, that, 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 I think that really changed. Uh, so it, it was really just trying to figure out what the fuck was going on, you know, how, where could I find some guidance? And hmm. most people who were offering guidance were asking for too much money and I was kind of broke, so. Did you actually try that route to ask, uh, seek advice from people? Yeah. How do you say? Most people who had the problems I have, um, Well, they want easy solutions, right? Everybody wants easy solutions. They want the blue pill. Yeah. And most people who helped or who were available for help like that, they wanted to give you the blue pill. And, but the blue pill situation was not something that could help me because it's just, just I hate taking advice. You know? Like, <laughs> we'll come to that. I love, I love it. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like, if you tell me a fucking train is coming at me and I can't see it, I'm not going to fucking believe you. Open my eyes and I'll be fucking running, right? Yeah, yeah. So, like, I realized that I had to fucking see for myself. Like, I have this friend, best friend, Tony. Mm-hmm. Every single screw-up I've done in my life, he has predicted every time I get into it. Like, like I, I, I like, do this, right? I'm like, dude, that's going to end up fucked. I'm like, I'll do it. Six <laughs> months later, I'm like, dude, that was fucked, right? And he'll be like, then he'll be like, yeah. I told you so. <laughs> <laughs> well, these days, he's kind of, like, given up on saying I told you so because it's right. just like, uh, you know, fucking, what, 14, 15 years of saying that, he's kind of, like, given up. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, I, I really have to go and see for myself what the problem is, and eventually mm. I figure it out. So I guess um, I had to dig my way through it, you know? Yeah. Just, what, yeah. what did Tony say about uh, Speak That Part when it first opened? Did, was this a moment that you put Do you know wrong? what? <laughs> this is the only thing when I went into it, he's like, okay, this could work. He said this could work? Yeah. So he still predicted it correctly. I know, right? Wow, this guy is a, a genius of sorts. He's actually a genius. He, he's, uh, he's, 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 his IQ is fucking off the charts. Like, but zero EQ. Let's say zero EQ. Like, he can run any process through his head. Like, oh, right. Supercomputer, right? But then he'll be like, you know, like very common social situations that we use to, he'll ask me questions very seriously. At first, I was like, fucking, like, serious? I'd be like, oh, this is a real problem. Like, uh, you cannot comment on the woman, the size of a woman's breast. It's not exactly kosher. <laughs> is, 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 is Singaporean? No. Uh, actually, he's Singaporean. Oh, wow. Yeah. Chinese dude. No, so he's Indian. He came oh, on the same he? flight with me, okay. but he already took his citizenship a long time ago. Right, right. I haven't because, honestly speaking, I just haven't had the time to fill up all the shit. It's just like, okay, would you? Oh, I really want to. Okay. Like, I've been wanting to... I know, actually, one of my questions is that would you actually go back to Kerala and maybe open the speaking app there? No, man, Singapore's home. Okay. Like, 
you know, I went back in India a couple of times. Like, I'm on the flight back. I land to Changi, and I'm like, yes, <laughs> oh, I'm safe. I, I go to Bali, I come back, I'm safe. Like everywhere, man. Just like I, I'm pampered. You seem to have a lot of good things to say about Singapore. Do you want to share a few? Uh, just kick some common misconception out of the way for our bratty little. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> okay, like, I guess you know it's a common thing in every 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 culture. You see that in America, you see that in Singapore, everywhere really. Uh, immigrants work hard. Fact of life: If you're born in a country, and even even children who are son of immigrants, uh, children of immigrants who have who've been born here in uh, better situations, they don't have the same drive that immigrants do. So. Uh, going through crappy situations definitely gives you a little bit of perspective on, you know, uh, what you want to do with your life, right? So, um, Singapore right now has a this fucking great place for somebody who's willing to work hard for an opportunity, right? Um, and obviously, there's a lot of, you know, stuff that, if you look deep down, there's wrong about it. Like people talk about the arts and culture thing, but in but if you look at it on a more larger scale, I mean, right now we look at Venice's, you know, fucking space of culture and everything. But if you look at when the city was founded, it was really a, a, a place for merchants, and which is where Singapore is now. And over time, um, Venice became uh, the patron of the arts, right? And now it's known for that culture. It's it's an old thing. Mm. So as far as that goes, Singapore is a really young country and we're already making those strides from a fully manufacturing-based economy. We're trying to like push ourselves through, you know, to find the heart of this country, you know, and, and I don't expect the country to find it like tomorrow, you know, and it, it's, it's, it's going to be maybe the next 40 years, 50 years, right? Yeah. But eventually the process will happen because, you know, a, 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 the diaspora is getting self-actualized. You know, the basic issues are gone. I guess the last maybe 40 years, after independence, maybe 30, 40 years, was figuring out food, clothing, and shelter shit. Now we're trying to figure out who the fuck are we as a people. Um, so there's obviously things that could be improved and all that stuff, but the fact remains that if you try reasonably hard, you can make it here, you know. It is expensive. It's got all this shit going on, but um, it is ridiculous how much help you can get if you just get on with it. And I didn't believe it, right? Um, Is there any concrete examples you want to? Okay, so people talk about the grant systems, right? And I used to believe that this was not very accessible. But the fact is that uh, if you actually spend the time to solve a problem, and if you go and uh, talk to the right people, when I say talk to the right people, it's not like they're like in, you know, uh, yeah, mysteries. Pretty much everything's there. Like, okay, you want to do this project, like there's the right people to talk to. Obviously, you have to go through the, to write some fucking, you know, uh, what do you call it, uh, proposals and all that stuff. It's not like, you know, coming straight at you, but there is support to be had. And even if you have a normal idea, if you want to just go to private equity or whatever, there are so many angels, so much disposable income uh, that is there for you to support whatever the fuck it is that you want to do. We'll come back to that actually. Yeah. One thing I want to talk to you about. So like Singapore is not, Singapore is okay bro. Yeah, no, I, I fully agree with you. I just want to get more concrete examples so people wouldn't think that we're talking air. You know? Oh yeah, I'll tell you. 
No, I mean, that, that example is great. The, 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 the company thing, right? Like, yeah. I tell you, starting up a fucking company in other places, in other parts of the world, is so hard. Here, right? $300, the paperwork, right? right? $300, 15 minutes, private limited company is registered. Two days later, open a bank account, you're in business, bro. You have an idea, next week, you can start charging people for it with a fucking checkbook. Hard to do anywhere else in the world. Anywhere else in the world. Can you give a comparison, like if you're in Kerala right now, how long would you <laughs> <even> take? <laughs> you wouldn't even know. <laughs> you, you would... You know, obviously the first thing, the thing is not online, right? So you got to do it like normal. Then you got to, you know, and you probably have to go through a lawyer to get all this shit done because there is no like, oh okay, simplest thing <laughs> that helps set up a company here. Yeah. When you go online to set up a private limited company, they give you a sample M, uh, memorandum of articles. Mm -hmm. Normally, to do that, you have to go through a lawyer to get a thing done and submit it, right? In Singapore... They cut the process. So here's a sample that you can basically use ad hoc and just get your process going. Like you're not tied to all the rest of the crap. And another thing is Singapore doesn't give, really give a shit about um, your annual returns and stuff until you become big. They understand that small companies, you're too busy building the business that you may not have time or money to hire an accountant to do it. You know, um, usually the government does not get on your ass until you're, you know, three years down and you haven't given any kind of, uh, you know, uh, compliance. Yeah. And then we'll be like, okay, man, just, just, just like back up here. Let's just, just you're get this shit it. together, right? Um, and even then, they give you so much fucking time to like, okay, guys, this is what we do. And even when, like, for example, uh, ACRA stuff, right? So when they go, go through the whole... Uh, um, what do you call it? Um, the law thing, uh, take you to the court. Yeah. They actually have a meeting okay. or a seminar you can go to for dire new directors. You can go and learn how to figure this out. And then these guys will teach you, right, this is how you do it. And then you actually get your composition fees written off kind of thing. It is the smallest things. But, That's great. Right? I didn't know that. Right? It, it, it's a, yeah. so super small things, but, uh, it, it, but it takes so much off your head. And also, like, uh, even, like, expansion. Last year, they made, uh, back in the day, or, like, 2015 early, if you had a one corporate shareholder, you had to go, audit, go through auditing. Auditing is a $5,000 process, roughly. Right? Just crazy, depending on the transaction, all that stuff. Three to $5,000 every year. But now, if your group has less than $10 million in group revenue, you don't have to do audits. That makes sense, Right? So you could have like multiple companies and everything's doing business and all of a sudden you don't have to spend yeah, thank you for that example. $5,000. That is uh, like, great. That kind of stuff is fucking brilliant. But then again, all, pretty much everything I'm saying is from a business person's point of view. Yeah, so of I course. guess, you know, the, the civic liberties and all that stuff, there's this whole, you know... Um, Mado area uh, you don't want... You don't abyss, let's put it that way. <laughs> <laughs> okay. But like I said, yeah. you know, it's just Singapore's only... Learning to get to that level of understand freedom, even. Yeah. Really? Let's switch gear a bit and go back to um, first job and after that. Actually, I got to know you uh, through a crowdfunding project that you were building a. Um, <laughs> <laughs> that was when you have beer, full on beer. Yep. And you were, you were, you were carpenting away yep. uh, and building a co working space. Um, how, what did that happen? I mean, which, which I didn't contribute, by the way. So I'm sorry. It's all good. <laughs> What, what happened? What, oh, it, was, it, what it, was the story? Yeah. 
so I had Spiffy. Yeah. And I wanted to move Spiffy to a new location because, you know, that location was getting too... It was a small place. It was like 400 square foot, 500 square foot kind of space. So it was the first location, was it? Yeah, first location. Not the one at Rio Valley. Bookie. Oh, Bookie, correct. Right, okay. So then I wanted to get a space. So I found this place in Little India. And I go and sign the fucking lease. So it's like three stories. Three stories. Right? But it's, it's, it's Little India, so it's kind of cheap, right? Okay. Um, I was perfect for the business. So we had... Space for a cafe, space for a bar, everything, right? And then two fucking days after I signed the lease, the riots in Little India happened, right? And I'm like, uh. <laughs> so, so what happens is uh, in situations like that, Singapore basically goes into bureaucratic shutdown mode because, you know, nobody knows how to deal with it. So that um, URA basically wouldn't process any applications because, you know, you don't want to be the guy who approved a bar after a <laughs> drinking froth. <laughs> Uh, but then they wouldn't even give me a conversion to a cafe license because no. yeah, you know, just just like they wouldn't. Uh, it was just even more maddening because like after the hoo ha died down, like you know, a year later, the guy opposite me got a change of use. I'm like, anyways. So after like, so at first it was trying to do the bar, but that going to work out. So I tried to reapply, create a cafe concept, try to do that. So. That didn't work out. At the same time, while running Spiffy at Boat Key. Yes. Uh, then I thought, okay, you know, everything's going to shit. The only thing I can use it for is its current use because I have a four and a half year lease. I paid 50 grand. Which is actually really smart because, you know, you want to do a long lease. So that's yes, a very you know, control thing. Exactly. So I, I did everything right, except that, you know, thank God to my fellow countrymen. <laughs> You know, they royally ass fucked to me. Uh, <laughs> Which stage were you when, when, when that happened? You were about to open or? Bro, I signed the lease, right? Okay, you signed the lease. Two days later, they <laughs> flipped the ambulance, bro. Could you go work with the landlord? Like, hey, you know, hey, I, I was trying to do this, but it didn't, it didn't work out, man. What kind of fucking stupid <laughs> landlord will I owe to back up, bro? No, but it's like, I don't have money, money to pay. Too bad. They'll sue the company. And okay. they will... Oh, you sign under the company? Of course, always. Un- oh, okay. It's stupid. I sign under you. No, but I mean, you, I thought you would do a separate thing and then you, you do that and it's a, a shell company. Well, you know, to do a shell company, you must have something of value to protect. That's true. So I was actually trying to create the shell company, which is, you know, took the lease on. But realistically speaking, you couldn't back out. It was just... Uh, I had taken money from people. So I had raised money, about 50, 60 grand, to take over the premises and do the basics, right? Right. So I'm already like 70 grand in debt as a company to people who I've taken money from. So I can't be like, hey, guys, uh, somebody had a riot, so I'm going to pull out and 70 grand is gone. Like, that is not how the world works, right? Like, Singapore is small, man. If you cheat people, like, you know. Karma. You know, not, not just karma. Like, people know, like, yeah. the investor community is small, right? Yeah. So I'm like, fuck, I got to get into it. So then I thought like, hey, man, co-working spaces, everybody's building it. Like, I can do one. <laughs> So I was like, cool, let's do one. Uh, and then I was super broke, right? And then I was like, okay, let's see what kind of construction material we can. So I looked at timber because it's the cheapest thing to get. So I got a, tr- a truck of timber. And it only cost like $1,000 because I got like unshaven, unprocessed, just planks and stuff. Okay. Um, so, and then little did I know that, uh, well, on the day the timber is supposed to come, I'm like, Jolly, jolly, just go there. Like, then I'm like, 
big fucking truck of 10 feet planks and plywood. And there's no crane. I thought like they would have at least a fucking crane to kind of like take it and just put it down. No, here, they right? just Nothing. chop it off. No, no. everything sitting on a fucking truck. So this is big Chinese dude, right? Mainland Chinese guy. It's a driver. And he just looks at me and he's just like, <laughs> and then I, I have not exercised in ages. So I just get on a glove and I start cl- carrying this truckload of wood inside. Um, and then, yeah, I kind of died after that. But then I realized that all the pieces of wood that I got, so I, it's not like, wood is not like a straight thing, right? So if you just buy like unprocessed, unshaped wood, some wood is, and most of it has been sitting outside. So some's like warped like this. Some's like warped like this, even though it's a fucking straight plank. So you can't put like two pieces of wood together and make a fucking table. You got to like find the right piece, match, match. And it's a fucking big ton of wood, right? And then you got to match it. Then you got to shave it down. Like, okay, you can. Then you got to clamp it. Then you got to screw it down. I, I know this. Actually, a lot of people wouldn't have known this. But I know this because I, I should build a, a library of sorts. Yeah. Outside my house. <laughs> like, no one told you what you signed up for. I know, right? And then you just like... Oh, oh, this is so hard. And then you have a lot more respect for people who are actually carpenters. It's like, how do you get this straight? Like, how did you do that? This is magic. So when I got this one, yeah. when I when I built this one, yeah. So for comparison, that beam, I don't know if you can see it. So a beam like this, right? If you get it unshaven, unprocessed, it's like 18 bucks. Like that. Like that that that, that cross section, right? Yeah. If you get the same, like chosen, shaven, whatever, it's close to like 40 bucks. Right? But the amount of time saved, crazy. So it's just, if I had probably tried to build a co-working space with the good wood, like processed wood. Like Wait, so the, what happened to the co-working space? So I spent six months building it, bro. Just like, did, the, did the project get funded? No. Okay. I, I, the crowdsourcing thing failed. Uh, I only had some money from the initial investors. Okay. But I was like, fuck it, I'm just going to do it. So I, I went to build it. So I was bartending, then I would come and work in the day, build it, then I'd go you. and bartend. Huh? Just you. So I found this other guy who was an engineer, so he kind of helped me out. And we were basically like, you know, doing it you know, whenever we had time. Um, and then it took us for like six months to kind of completely finish it. Uh, and by that time, I had to go back to Spiffy and rescue the business because it was kind of like, oh, oh. you know. <laughs> Uh, going to shits. Uh, so I never had time to market the place. Um, yeah, but eventually it's you know, a good thing. Now it's my office and I actually live there and all that. So okay, works out. But, you know, it was a definitely complete fucking failure. No, I think you took a very positive spin to it. <laughs> By thinking of ideas to... I mean, all good ideas. Yeah, I know, right? <laughs> all good ideas. Uh... <laughs> That's what she said. Hey, um, so moving, uh, moving to Spiffy, and now we're talking about it. Um, this is the second location at Amoy Street. And you're also running a Dapper Coffee in the day. Um, can you just share like a two-minute story of like how uh, Spiffy Dapper came to be? Yeah? Tell me what your most proud thing that happened. So basically, I was uh, working at a Cufflink Club part-time. Yeah. And I was running my uh, web design company. Um, then uh, a friend of mine told me there's a space in Boatkey available, just sitting there. So I made my friend go and talk to this guy and convince this guy who had the space that I was the greatest bartender since sliced bread and fire and everything. You know? uh, so then I went to the first meeting and I didn't say anything. At the end of the meeting, I said, I'll do it. Second meeting, I said, I want 51%. And uh, 
I had 1.5 grand in my pocket, so I put that money. Friend put like a grand, 1.5 grand. I made that guy put in like 11, 12 grand, whatever. We bought everything secondhand. The only new thing we had was my speed rail, which is my, you know, where you keep the bottles and the ice well. And we bought really good alcohol and crystal glassware. So it was a like complete shithole with beautiful glassware and great alcohol and half decent cocktails. And then uh, it was the start of the cocktail boom, really. Um, there weren't really a lot of uh, cocktail bars around. So, and we didn't have any money for marketing. So we basically talked shit about ourselves. You know, idea came from Eminem's last round in 8 Mile. You know? uh, so, yeah, then I basically said it was the worst bar in the world in Singapore. And then people came and like, because the expectations were so low that, like, hey, we have to see this fucking shitty bar. They're like, hey, it's not too bad. And then over time, it became like this hangout for the techies, you know. Um, and then we moved here. Um, so we started Dapper Coffee in um, Bodki. Didn't work out so well. Mm-hmm. We came here. A uh, girl called Christine here took it over. And she's a fucking rock star. Like, she like made it work. You know, so I, I made Spiffy work, and she made Deborah Coffee work, and um, yeah, that's where we are. Now we're more of like in an incubation company, so what we do is find people, put them into a situation, stress test them, like, okay, cool, and then like they have an idea, we fund them with the location and equipment, and like, okay, now go run your business. So I love, I love uh, the idea behind uh, Deborah Coffee, actually. It's a very interesting concept, and you might be the, one of the first pioneers who bought uh, how do you call it? People uh, own uh, the model of uh, people's own businesses where the business is actually equally shared by all the, the people who are working in it. I, I would just say, just I, it's not a cooperative model, no. It's, I, not. I tried so it's, nothing, co- like, it's not nothing like Aris Mini or like SF, they have a uh, cheese board. So, so I tried the cooperative model, but the problem is um, just a practical thing. When you give out equity in a company. You can't just take equity back. You've got to buy equity back. You've got to buy somebody out, right? And not all the times when uh, a relationship ends, it's a nice ending. So you have all these remnants lying around. You don't want that. So what, uh, and I did like direct equity, just giving it out and sharing it at first couple of times. But uh, when things went to shit, you know, I had a lot of cleanup work to do and I don't want to do that. So what we do now is... Uh, we provide a safe situation where they don't have to put any risk. So they still get paid their salary. We do all the investment. But over time, they get stock options. So let's say in five years, you could own like 20, 30% of the company, something like that. So that way, if let's say you fuck off in three years, you still have what you work for. Uh, but it's not like everything. I could find somebody else to replace and assign that stock option to somebody else. Um, so it gives a little bit more freedom. Right? So it's a, and obviously, at a later time, if the person has money and want to buy us out and take the business for themselves, they can do that. Uh, but um, I, I do like a, it's almost like a tech model or angel investing style of uh, creating businesses. Uh, because otherwise, it's, it's very hard to control losses, really. Because that, that's going to happen, without a doubt, that somebody's going to screw up and you're going to lose some money. Mm. Uh, so it's, I, I guess the key thing is to uh, control how much you lose and how much cleanup you have to do after you lose it. Yeah. yeah. No, I think that's very interesting because I think you have gone through a whole series of hiring and firing and working with different people and you have came out with that model that sort of like is best for your screen. Just ex- explain, I just want to dig a little bit more because I'm really fascinated by the, the model you have. How, how did it came to be and why, 
this instead of that, sort of, okay. um, sort of the evolution of the the model that you you were trying and why what what motivated you to try a different model versus you know the traditional one where I'm the owner and you come up for me. So the owner employee model works when you have a fair amount of startup capital and you have a good opex going, which means for the next six months you're not worried about money. You know, your, your, your business can only be doing okay, but you're going to pump it in marketing, you're going to do everything on time, like bang, bang, right? And then usually that's what people do. They have enough capital and, and the business does well. Uh, they incentivize certain people uh, on a revenue share or something like that on targets um, so that, you know, the business goes okay. But the problem with that model is, uh, number one, there's only so many people you can incentivize without drastically cutting into your margins. Um, um, second thing is, I have seen so many bartenders or baristas or cooks who've gone into profit share agreements with their bosses. Two years later, the boss is like, you're out. All of a sudden, they spend like two years building something. Of course, they made some money in between, but they also took some of the risk, right? There's salary plus profit share. But they have nothing to show for it. Like, back to fucking zero, right? You could have been like rolling with fucking six, seven grand a month, but all of a sudden, you know, the boss decided to cancel your contract because you were so good at the job that you have delegated everything and you're just supervising. And all of a sudden, he realizes that, wait, I don't need to give you that money. I can keep that money for them. So then you're fired. Um, so... From an employee perspective, I did not want to do that to people. Um, so that's why I went on the equity side of things. Equity side means that you only make money when the business actually decides to reward its stakeholders, which is dividends. And I want people to buy into the idea that it is not about money. It is about, not just about money really. You gotta build a business, but you got to take care of people. If you take care of people, your business will grow. So I want to incentivize people to make themselves useless. Which is, if, for example, I hire you as a manager. You're a good manager if you don't have to do anything. But the venue runs. You're a crappy manager if you have to fucking do everything. Right? All the time. So, for you to be good... I need to make sure you have a reason to be good for the future. So, for example, with Christine, I say, great, you know, you run the place. Now, Christine ran the place and she gets stock options progressively. And now what she also does is she built this person called Liz, who was a barista. Now he's, she's starting a bakery. And now Liz is going to be business leader and she will get stock options. But because Christine mentored this person, Christine gets a stake in that business as well. So... I'm making sure that in the long run, Christine basically has to do almost nothing because she has already done the work. She has invested in people. She has trained people. And now she actually gets back to get get the return. So yeah. um, I think that's kind of why we do what we do. Um, it doesn't make you instantly rich, mm. um, but it actually gives you a career. Mm. Like think, you, you have to think four or five years ahead. Yeah. To like make sense. Definitely a very interesting model that, yeah. you, that, that you're working on. Uh, I mean, I just want to 
put this in within 60 minutes, so I'm just going to skip ahead and then ask you uh, what I want to ask you actually is about fi the financing game and sort of have you talk a little bit if you were to be where you are now and sort of go back to early days and tell Josh about explain the financing game, especially on SMB and BAR, what would be the sort of like a two, five minutes? Uh... Okay. <clears throat> uh, first thing, if you're going into anything FMB, this is a real estate-based business, which means the real estate is your biggest strength and your weakness, right? Don't... You don't need um, a fancy interior or fancy equipment to make something work. You can buy things secondhand. You don't need to invest so much money into fancy shit. Get what you need to get a place going and keep as much money as possible for operational expenses and for stuff. Uh, if you do that, there's a much reasonable chance of you succeeding. Um, and also, keep your things movable so if you list does fuck up, <laughs> you can move easily. Um, but finance is sad, right? And getting, um, getting money together. Getting money together. Um, it really helps if you have, once you have a basic concept and an idea and you have, people know that you can take on experience, uh, take on responsibility, people are willing to put money behind you, right? Um, so the key thing, I guess, is if you're just an employee who, who's uh, building it, I would say do not go into this without actually working in the business. I see too many people who are like, you know, every fucking college graduate now <laughs> wants to own a fucking cafe. And I'm like, are you fucking mental? Like, well, and also uh, bankers. Uh, right? That, yeah. Any banker, any lawyer who is tired of life, like, oh, I'm going to open a food and beverage. I'm like, oh, great. <laughs> you know? But like, why, like, go and work in a business. Like, you wouldn't open a law firm without being a fucking lawyer unless you're in the drama suits. Um, <laughs> but, you know. Uh, it's a great TV show. Great TV show, but uh, same thing. Like you don't you don't go into F and B without working in the business first. Work in the business, and if you have money, if you have friends and family money to give you, take that money, do your thing, whatever. But if you're starting from where I started, which was basically absolute jack shit, don't know how it, don't have anything, don't know anybody. I think the key thing is to uh, build those networks and let people know that you are you're you're good for something, good for the money, so as to say. Like I would suggest. Small things like, now it's kind of, uh, it's okay to kind of like make something at home and sell it to your uh, friends and family. It's actually legal to do that under any laws right now. Um, so I would suggest don't go into stuff without knowing what the fuck's going on. Go and get yourself a food hygiene certificate, yeah. right? Make something, sell it to your friends, mm -hmm. gain, some gain some reaction. Then there's a lot of night festivals and pop-ups going on. Go and do your pop-ups. Learn how to serve these guys. Then if, there's, if the brand is going severely, okay, great. You have now, instead of just like taking other people's money, maybe you have like $10,000 of your own. You put the $10,000 first, and then you get somebody to put another $10,000 in. Then you have a little bit more control of the company. Then you go and invest in fucking pushcart, whatever the fuck it is. But go slow, go easy. Uh, too many people want to go everything one shot. But the problem, quick, slower process, and I know that, you know, if you go slow. It took me three and a half years to get from that to this. You went to a crash cost. Right? I did want a crash course, but it's also a very slow crash course, right? 
it's like it's the, I believe in maximum iterations. Like try, 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 fail, try again, fail, try, try again, and lose as less every time you fail. That's that's the whole point of uh, how I do it. But like if you grow slowly, like some of the biggest brands, you know, uh, Beyond Shin, Artichoke, um, the chicken place, I forgot the name. Um, chicken place. Beyond has a Thai chicken. But but that one. Yeah. So it's Nenepok. All of these, he prototype with pop-ups. Um, the Ming, who owns Kush and Quarters, mm. he did durian creme brulee. Made it, sold it at pop-ups, got got traction, asked money, people to buy money. Park Bay's Delhi, same deal. People who are actually doing it Andre, yeah. properly, like all of these guys figured out a concept, showed people what's up, and got money. Love it. Easier to do it that way. Like Otherwise, you can talk all the shit you want, you know, yeah. where's the fucking real stuff, right? Yeah, yeah so let's uh, move on to some quick questions, uh, but you don't need to answer quick. Uh, well, this, one, this one, I'll flip it a little bit, actually. If your 18-year-old self would travel in time to meet you, what advice would he give you? Don't change. Don't change? Do exactly the same. Fuck up even more. <laughs> and that's what you would say to younger self, too. Both ways. Bro, like, there's the, the beauty of screwing up. It's just so brilliant. And it's, I think the, the coolest fucking verse of it is like, you know, uh, failure is not the end of things. It's just figuring out how to win. It's just hacking at something and figuring out how to get around a problem. There are obviously some very smart people who became billionaires like that. There are. And, and that entrepreneur porn is what's driving a lot of people, right? But if you look at majority of startups, majority of businesses, they are created by people who are around 35 to 40 years old. 45 years old. People who have worked in a business, understood a fucking business, and hey, let's uh, change this fucker. And to do that, the only way to understand what the fuck is going on is go fucking mental and hacking what the fuck is going on. Are you going to spend, let's say if you're 20, you're going to spend the fucking next 15 years failing at fucking everything. In about 15 years, you'll be like, if you have tried hard enough at failing, you'll figure out how to win. That's it. There's no, that, there's no shortcut on that. No blue pill. Yeah, no blue pill. Would you, uh, any re- books uh, to recommend or documentaries? Top three. <laughs> Top three. <clears throat> mm, books, 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 books. I would read, the books aside, I would read anything by Jack London. Um, Jack London was the first writing superstar. Uh, he was, he's a guy uh, who came out of poverty, wrote, but everything he wrote, he experienced. He went to the gold rush. He went to, on a whaling ship. He was an oyster pirate. He was a man of experience who wrote about experience. Uh, and the person to come after that was Hemingway. Uh, so it was Hemingway's granddad, you could, if you could look at that. And the stuff he writes, everybody knows him for White Fang and Call of the Wild, which is his two well-known children's books. But pretty much all his writings talk about man and nature, man and man, nature and nature. Uh, uh, that's just his very gritty uh, way of, of looking, a very pragmatic way of looking at life. So I think that's one author you have to read. Um, one book that I read that changed, it's very hard to find, 
um, it's called Brandstorm, a story of love and betrayal. That is when I got the idea of different economies, the barter economy, the industrial economy, uh, the knowledge economy, and the human economy. Um, that is that really changed fundamentally changed Brandstorm. a story of love and betrayal, something like that. You can find it on used on Amazon. It's out of print. Wow. Uh, it, is, it is. It huh? is. Kindle version, maybe. No, it's used books. Oh wow! Okay. This is definitely out of print. Fucking hard to get. But like, I read it in Nanyang Polytechnic's library just by chance, and it blew my mind. Like, just changed the way I think about the world. So it forced me to look at shit. You know, how has our processes changed? How has economy changed based on? And and like, for example, when the forums and stuff came, that was a knowledge economy because you have all this fucking knowledge, uh, and now. So that was the information economy. Now we're in the knowledge economy where we are like, information, let's figure out what the fuck it is going on. But now we're all moving into the human economy where we are kind of saying what the fuck we want and people are actually giving it to us, kind of. Um, last book, um, I guess, recently, Connectography. Um, it is a new book, Parakana or something like that. Uh, this guy is basically, I'm actually reading that book right now. It's fucking brilliant. Um, the concept of the book is very simple. What would the world be if all boundaries were eliminated because of how we're connected? Wow. And it's just looking at if global warming continues, where is going to be agriculture? In fact, it's actually going to be in Canada and Russia. Interestingly, in 100 years, that will be where most of agriculture will be held, done. Uh, how super cities will be more powerful than countries. You know, things like that. Um, so I think Connectography is a fucking brilliant book Great. to read at, to kind of like understand where are we going to be for the next, I don't know, 100 years. So that, that's a brilliant book to look at. Well, I'm adding it to my reading list. Uh, morning routines or routines and habits that you find uh, important to you? Um, right. So I don't really have a morning routine, but always have either jerk off or have sex once a day. Great. Yeah. Important. People, people, this is controversial subject, I guess. Most people don't look at it, but man, so many of the world problems comes without dopamine. Dopamine for the win. That's what's up. Okay. If, if your head... If your head's okay, if you're not like fucking worried about fucking all the time, which you are kind of worried as a male, as a male person. Okay. Uh, this is only advice for male. Right. I, I, I don't know. I think with women as well, I think. <laughs> okay. Like if, if you, it, I personally think okay. the most empowering thing for a woman is a fucking vibrator. Like, just like awesome. Right. Like to be in control of your sex lives is brilliant. Uh, so I would think uh, just being in control of... Uh, your happiness and being able to do it naturally without medicine helps. Mm. So, yeah. Okay. If you have a bath poster anywhere, um, what's it going to say? Or oh, you can decorate a whole MRT carriage. A what? A bath poster. Like a bus stop, you have this poster. That, so you have, I, you have a poster. You can put anything on it. Huh. I guess I have to plagiarize the bridge and say, keep calm and carry on. There's nothing else you can do, really. Fucking get on with it. 
What are some of the most common misconceptions about you or your work? I guess the most common misconception is that it's glamorous. Uh, it's not because I spent yesterday fixing a tap. Today I'll be fixing a leak. Last week I was fixing toilets, <laughs> running after licensing. Um, other misconception is that you can get really rich by doing it. The fact is, if you want to grow a business, you're not going to get rich anytime soon. Most of the time, you're, uh, you're broke. I'm mostly broke most of the time. Um, that's that, I guess. I guess yeah. that's the key things. People think it's like glamour, 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 but it is really just a retarded amount of work. Just, I, I do nothing but work. I, I, I spend time with my wife a little bit. Um, you know, if possible. But every day I wake up, I switch on, take a shower, I switch on, I'm at work. So that's, that's really it. Um, but but I, I guess there are some people who have made it and kind of have a good life. But Yeah, yeah. You know, but you pay Down for it with road. blood, right? Yeah. Like, you do at least three to four years of ridiculous work. Like, the, the, there's no office. It's just like, <laughs> then maybe, if you're lucky, you'll get to that. Ah, uh, what are some of the projects uh, that uh, the audience can look forward to? Uh, you, you do a few things coming out, right? Yeah, FMB, so the, at RSG. So the key thing right now is two big projects, other than whatever's happening. Like, so the incubation of project, incubation of F&B concepts is kind of like running. And it's, it's already going, right? Uh, but the key thing we're doing right now, I'm working on a B2B side for the F&B industry. Um, so, you know, in the process of uh, getting seed funding and all that stuff sorted out to kind of scale it. But the thing I'm really excited about is a project called Social Farms. Uh, it is um, my Kahuna project to feed the world kind of thing. Uh, so that's, um, we're in the process of getting the space to do the initial prototype for research. Uh, but the idea is basically aquaponics, which is using fish waste to feed plants, you know, uh, like hydroponics, but with fish. Um, and uh, using sensors and the data from it, and use big data analysis to figure out failure points, predict them, so that I could have systems that I could uh, dump in the middle of Sahara and create food with very little water. All I need is the sun and uh, a little bit of, you know, top up on the water tank once in a while, and uh, I could have sustainable farms anywhere in the world. So... Um, uh, is driven by the idea that um, in the next 30 to 50 years, most of our food basins will be will not be arable. We will not be able to produce food. Um, and even though we have very uh, good production of grains, and it's, it's, it's uh, but we haven't figured out proteins and um, decentralized production of greens uh, for majority of the world's population. So I want to figure out how I can use technology to help people kind of like be in control of their food supplies. You know? That's awesome. Uh, so where can people find you on the internet? Just uh, to wrap it up. Just Google. Follow you, follow your work. Google Abhishek Cherry and George, I guess. You know, pretty, I'm the only guy with that name in the world. Okay. There we go. We're done. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. What's up, guys? You still around. That is crazy. Actually, I'm not sure if I'm talking to anyone at all. But if you are out there, if you're listening to this thing, listening to this podcast, 
please send me an email because I don't know if actually anyone listens to this thing because it's so long. So reach out, say hi, do anything and tell me if you like it, you hate it or if there's any room for improvement. Um, that said, the links and all show notes can be found on the website. It's uh, brianvictor.com B-R-Y-A-N V-I-C-T-O-R.com so thank you so much again and have a great day ahead. <laughs>